Today we'll be reading from two passages. 1 Corinthians 10:31 through 11:1. 1. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. Thank you so much, Allison. Let me pray for us, sorry. Uh, Father, we're reminded of the words that John the Baptist, Jesus Christ must increase and we must all decrease. I pray that we would hear the words of your son clearly today and We would not just hear them, but we would do them, that our lives would be changed as a result. Uh, I pray specifically for your help in sharing good news and also sharing uh, a passion for what you're doing in our church. Give clarity and help. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Last week, I began asking a few questions for us as a church to think through, yes, individually, but really for us as an entire church family. And uh, some of you were here last week, some of you weren't, but I I do want to share with you those questions again. So a question that we answered, or at least tried to answer last week from God's word, was found uh, really throughout Acts. The question was this, what does success for our church, what does it look like? What does it look like when we as a church succeed We looked at all different places in Acts where there was progress made by the people of God, how they would succeed, how they made progress. Another question we ask is also this, how how much, and this is a question I wanted us all to evaluate, and that is, how much do I want to see God at work in us and through us? How much do I want to see this? How much am I committed to this? And then following with that question is, What role is God calling me to play? And again, I want us to ask it as a church, but also individually. What role is God calling me to play in advancing the mission of Jesus Christ, advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ, advancing the message of Christ? Often when I'm preparing and kind of trying to put together what I believe God would have for us, I'm driven by particular insight into God's word, a particular, you know, phrase or even sentence stands out. And kind of what drives me to Sunday morning and looking forward to it is to be able to share that insight. But there are other times, and I don't really know how to explain it other than there are times that I feel a real burden, a concern or a burden that I believe is from the Lord, that I believe he's laid on my heart, that I'm meant to share as a pastor with this congregation, with our church. And, and that has certainly been on my mind recently. And 
And I, I do have a burden to share, not, not just at you, but with you, not thinking of a specific individual, but really thinking of all of us, what, what might God be saying to us? And, and really, it's a couple different burdens, and these burdens are really driving this entire series of messages. So I want to leave with those pretty straightforward. One burden I have is that we as a church sometimes can lose sight of our mission. We as a church sometimes, this can, this can happen, we can lose sight of what we're really here for. We all have busy lives. We have a lot going on even at the church. So it makes sense that at times we could get distracted or pulled in a thousand different directions and we might lose sight or lose focus of what our mission is. And so that burden's been on my heart really throughout the summer, even back into the spring. This, the second concern or burden I, I feel is that we underestimate, and at times we even neglect some critical roles God has called each one of us to play in our mission. I think we have a tendency, again, I, I'm saying we as, as a church family have a tendency to underestimate or just flat out neglect some critical roles that God is calling each of us to play. And so these, those things have been on my mind, on my heart, and I've wanted to spend just some weeks thinking about them and, and talking through them as a church family. Our, our series is called We Must Go. We must go. We aren't just to gather like we're doing today. We aren't just to meet together. We aren't just to get to know each other a little bit better. We aren't meant to just do better ministry with each other and, and alongside of each other. We have we have a mission to go, to have an outward face. I wanted both scriptures read earlier. I'm grateful for Allison reading because I think they both speak to these burdens that are on my heart. And, and here's, here's success for, I think, this series. Here's what I'm praying for. is that God would use this series of messages to give us clear sight of our mission so that we as a church family, not, not just me, not just our staff, not just our shepherding team, not just our deacons, not just our leadership, but that we as a whole church family would have clear sight of our mission, that we must go, but also that each one of us would see how we are particularly invested and involved in this mission, maybe in some surprising ways. So a couple texts today, and the first of those is in 1 Corinthians 10. So we read it a moment ago. We'll come back to Matthew 9, but 1 Corinthians 10, I was grateful for Nathan leading us in the song, All Glory Be to Christ, that made me think of this text. Because 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. So that about covers it all, doesn't it? Whether, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do everything so that the infinite worth of who God is and what he's done, all of his perfections, so that that is put on display, that everybody could see it. That's worth living for. So Paul says, whether you're eating or drinking or anything you do, church at Corinth, church at Ogletown, do all to God's glory. But, but he keeps talking. He says, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God? Because Paul has this burden. He says, I am trying to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, not so that Paul could be puffed up or lifted up, but he had this concern. He wanted to please P 
people. He wanted to be interested in people so that they might be saved. And then he calls on the church at Corinth to be imitators of him as he is of Christ. So notice the connection, God's glory. He starts with that. Let, let everything be done for the glory of God. But he says, I am trying to please people and I'm seeking advantage, not my own, but I'm, I'm wanting desperately, a critical priority to Paul is that people might be saved. And he says, when I do that, I'm actually imitating Jesus Christ. Jesus told us of his mission in Luke 19. He said that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. And Paul says, as Jesus was on that rescue mission, I am on that rescue mission as well. And he says to the whole church, follow me as I'm following Christ on this rescue mission. Connected to God being glorified is living with the aim to see people rescued. I just don't want to lose that urgency. I don't want us to lose focus of that. I don't want us to feel less urgency to see people rescued. We could. We could see what only affects us. We could walk in these doors. We could walk out of these doors only thinking about ourselves. We could sense less of a need to see people's lives changed. We could think, yeah, church is really about what I get out of it. We could diminish our joy in seeing people restored. It could all feel rather old. We could feel less urgency to see people enjoy a relationship with God. But I want us to press on. I want us to have a heart that says we want to see people rescued. We want to see people who actually don't just hear about God's love, but experience it firsthand. Who know what it, who, who know what the work of Jesus did for them on the cross. We want people to understand what true hope really is and what a meaningful life really is all about and where true identity can really be found. We want that. We want that for, for everybody that we can come in contact with. We want to see people's, people being rescued. So I, I want that to be front and center But this is what I know can easily happen, is that as we hear about the mission going forward, as we even think of the series title, We Must Go, we pretty quickly recognize, well, in going, someone's going to have to be talking and telling and sharing and announcing and preaching and proclaiming and discussing and and even debating. Someone's going to have to be a frontline evangelist, bringing the good news to other people. Someone's going to have to go to tough places with great courage. We even heard about that this past Wednesday night of, of a couple guys that went to West Africa and used their summer in a place where not many people know about Jesus Christ and they were witnesses for who Jesus Christ is. And we intuitively know we must go, someone must go and do that. Someone must tell people there is a God and he has sent his son Jesus to restore the entire world. But one of my fears is that while we know someone must be bold to share and must use their words, we can sometimes tend to underestimate or neglect everything else that goes into that mission being done. We can sometimes excuse ourselves, maybe even think, I, frankly, I don't know that I'm qualified. If we must go, and that's going to mean people talking and telling and boldly proclaiming and preaching and sharing, I don't know that that's me. 
I, I, I've been observed things for years. I've been in the church as long as I can remember. And what I recognize is there's always lots of reasons why we just feel inadequate to do this. We, we, we think, well, you know what? Frankly, I'm not that good at talking, so I don't know. It, you know, you say we must go, but I, 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 I'm not that extroverted. I see people who are, and I know that's just not me. I know some people are great, and you hear these stories of them like boldly like just bringing Jesus into conversations, and I am so timid in that. Or, Curtis, I, I know we must go, but I don't really know the Bible that well. I'm fairly new in my own faith, and I'm trying to process it all, and I, I just don't know that much. And someone's going to ask me a question. I'm going to have to go, I don't know the answer to that question. And so I'm hesitant. Or, or... I look out at my life, Curtis, I don't have a ton of relationships with people that aren't Christians. I really don't know that many people, my family, my friends. And so I'm not sure where I would go if I were to share this message. Or you look around at people that can sell. You know, they can like close the deal and you think, I don't know if that's what it's all about, but I, I don't know that I can close the deal on people trusting in Jesus. I don't know that I can come in and like get them across the finish line. I just, that's not my personality. I've never liked to sell things. So I don't know that, I, I don't know that I'm the person who's going to advance the mission of Christ. Or I'm not good at evangelism. I don't even like confrontation. I don't, others do. I, I, that's not me. Because of all that, I feel in the church that that's probably all the things that I just mentioned. That doesn't represent a, a tiny percentage of the church. I think that represents a large percentage of the church. That for one reason or another, here we hear we must go, and we feel like, I don't know that I can't. I, I don't know that I can't. I don't know. I, I, I feel attention. I know I should, but I don't know my role in that. So I think we need some help from Jesus here. Because Jesus doesn't give us this meaningless role in this whole advancing the gospel process. Let's look again at Matthew 9. Allison read it earlier. I just want us to revisit it again. It says this, Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages. He was teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He was healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, a harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It's such a simple passage, and I would love for this passage to be so deeply ingrained in the DNA of our church that this is just how we think about it all. Because what I see, first of all, is people move the heart of Jesus. Did you see that in this passage? Did you see that in this passage, how people move the heart of Jesus? When he sees the crowds, he has compassion for them because they're harassed and helpless. When Jesus looks at people, the first thing that Jesus feels and thinks is not, is not disgust, is not irritation or impatience. When Jesus looks at people that are harassed and helpless, when he looks at it like crowds of people, he doesn't just see foolish, bad people making ridiculous decisions that are messing up their lives and everybody else's lives. 
That's not what he sees. He sees helplessness. He, he sees people that are depressed and people that are oppressed and people that are barely making it. And he has compassion. It's helpful for us to remind ourselves that if Jesus were living in our times, I believe wholeheartedly that if you're walking the streets of Newark, if you were walking the streets of Wilmington, if he were in developments in Embarra or Middletown or Newcastle or Hokesson, I don't think there would be any difference in his assessment and his reaction to people. I don't think there would be any, any, any difference. I think he would still be moved with compassion because I think he would see people that are helpless and harassed. I think if he, if he walked the halls of middle and high schools, if he were to you know, take the elevators up to the, the top floors where all the executives are in corporate America, I think if he were to walk in the mall, I think if he were going to look out at grocery stores and, and at the Y and playgrounds and parks, he would still be moved. He would be moved with compassion. And Jesus' reaction seems so different than our gut reflex so much of the time. Social media just feeds us being not filled with compassion, but filled with disgust. And we ramp it up to new levels. But when we're following Jesus, our first mission isn't to whip this sorry world into shape. That's not where Jesus starts with all this. Jesus looks out and sees people in deep need. And Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, has sent us out. And we go, but we don't go like wagging our finger at people. We go compassionately seeking to help people out. We know, we're not naive. We know that following Jesus isn't going to be the easiest thing anybody's ever done. We know that doesn't just make all problems go away, but we have a, we have a hope that we're filled with. So Jesus is moved by compassion, but then he describes his task realistically. This is just plain. In, in verse 37, Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is enormous. It's, it's huge. It's plentiful. But there are not that many laborers. So everywhere Jesus looked, he saw people in need. I think much like he would see people in need now. And he could say, realistically, math and statistics aren't our friend here. Because he's looking out and seeing lots of people that are in great need. And he knows that this isn't just going to be solved by some 40-day campaign, which, oh, all the helpless people aren't helpless anymore. We'll just knock that out. The need is huge. It's enormous. The harvest is plentiful. But on the flip side of that, the math also is working that there are not that many laborers. Couldn't help but think of the picture of a fast food restaurant that's having a quiet evening, then all of a sudden... A bus pulls up of hungry high school athletes. And there's a situation where business may actually be pretty good for that owner that night. Hopefully there's enough laborers that can like turn things around and get food out. Jesus realistically assesses there is a huge world out there and great, great need. And there's not that many workers so what do you think would be the next thing to say? What do you think the next thing to do? I, I would fully expect Jesus would say, because there's such a need after there, let's quit talking, let's start acting, let's get out and get after it. But actually notice what Jesus says our first step in light of this should be. He actually directs our first step in verse 38. And he says, this is what I want you to do. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. In light of these conditions where we've got a harvest 
It's like ready to go. And there's not that many workers. This is what I want you to do. And it's somewhat counterintuitive. I want you to pray. I want you to pray to the Lord of the harvest. I want you to pray to the Lord of harvest because he can gather the resources to do his will in this situation. God is going to be the great recruiter here. He's not going to be like someone who even like fixes the machine and runs it indefinitely, but he's going to be the one that we personally talk to and say, Lord, we see great, great need. We see it in our area. We see it in our schools. We see it with our friends. We see it with our family. We see it with people all over the world. We see great, great need. And Jesus says, this is what you do. This is step number one. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. The harvest matters. And God can bring it in. And God can use others to bring it in. That's why I say sometimes I think we underestimate what our role is. Sometimes we we even, I'm positive I've done this before. Like, well, if you can't do anything, you can pray. I think Jesus never would have said stuff like that. He never would have said, yeah, prayer is like for the JV team. The real workers are the ones that are going out and evangelizing. But for the rest of us, then we can just pray. He never would have said it. He didn't say it like that. So priority one will be that every single one of us ask God to send people out into this harvest, send workers out into this harvest. Well, Curtis, I'm not an extrovert. You can pray. Curtis, my health isn't what it once was. You can pray. Curtis, Curtis, I'm not that great of a Christian. You can pray. You can talk to your Heavenly Father. I'm not good at evangelism. You can talk to your Heavenly Father. I'm not that good at confrontation. You can pray. And Jesus says, each one of us, this is what we're meant to do. It's it's clear. And if we think prayer is a meaningless part of the whole endeavor of mission, this world coming to faith in Christ, then we've misread exactly what Jesus told us to do. He said, pray that God would send out workers he didn't even say, pray that God would send out the experts or pray that God would send out the person that has like a billion followers on Instagram because if they started posting Bible verses, ah, it's just simple prayer. Pray that God would send out workers. And kind of the implication is they're already here. It's just God's going to send them out. They're already present. God's already recruited it. Pray that God would send people out toward the harvest, not even sowing and planting in this instance. Not really complicated. The work's almost done. Jesus says, pray that God the Father would send people out. So I think we can underestimate and I think we can neglect some important parts of the mission, but this is what I know. I talked with two or three people this week that told me how they came to faith in Christ. And two out of, out of the three told, told me specifically how someone had been praying for them. How prayer was woven into how they actually embraced Jesus Christ. Maybe it was a, a friend or a father or a mother or so, someone else, a neighbor. So if we come out of this message with a clear sight that our church has a mission, and if we come out of this message with a clear understanding, appreciation, that I participate in this critical role that God has called me to play by praying. I'll be really encouraged. You need a role to play in this mission. 
you have one. Could Could I just ask you, every day this week, would you pray that God would send workers to the harvest? Would you pray that every single day this week? Would you pray? And you say, where do I start? Maybe just start with like concentric circles here, the people in your life. Maybe the, the people that touch the, your life and the life of your family, your, your school, your, your friends, the, the work environment, your neighborhood. And then maybe you expand that and say, yeah, we live in an area that has lots of people. So let's, let's expand. Pray that God would send laborers into this area. And then maybe expand it to the world. If you have time in your prayers, Lord, there's, there's billions of people that never have even heard the name of Jesus or, or certainly don't have a clear understanding of who he is and what he's done. Lord, send workers out into that harvest and then let's watch what God might do. I pray we hear that and I pray we don't just hear it, but we act upon it. Jesus sent out his followers with a, a mission and he instructed us to pray, but I know one other thing that Jesus did is he also sent his followers out with a meal, a meal of communion that his followers would take together. And so I'm going to ask the deacons to get ready to serve us. And even the worship team is going to come and who is this for? Who, Who should take the Lord's Supper? Those who have believed in Jesus Christ, those who are trusting in him for salvation. See that? The end of mission is the glory of God as people who are in Christ, who have identified with him through baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Those who are following his words in obedience. Those who are living in vital community with other followers of Jesus. We're going to come together today. And if that's you, please, please come to this and take the bread and take the juice. And once again, remind yourself that you are in Christ. Some of you will say, I'm not there yet, Curtis. And feel free to pass that tray by, but please know, we want you to keep coming and keep asking questions. If there's any way I can help you, any way someone else can help you, so that you have an answer to like, am I a follower of Jesus? Do I know him? We want to answer that question. Please let us do that. We pray that someday every person that comes to Ogletown might have a, have a faith, a real faith in Jesus Christ. This meal doesn't mean anybody in this room is perfect. This meal, when we take bread and juice, it's to remind us that blood had to be shed because we were not perfect. We were sinners. The body of Jesus Christ had to be broken, not because we're perfect, but because we're sinners. So I want to invite you to eat in freedom, forgiveness, and joy, knowing those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. So the deacons are going to come. They're going to serve us with bread and juice. In just a moment, we'll take it together as a church family.